Talk. Is that better? Sorry. Should we try again? It's okay. It's okay. Sorry. We didn't. Sorry about that, Steve. Uh, let's try again. Hi, my name is Kurt. <laughs> well, uh, last week, Chad Erlenborn, he talked about how everyone wins with unity, saying that it's powerful and beautiful, and he acknowledged, though, that unity is difficult and fragile and elusive. Let's, let's read the passage. Uh, I, I had planned on Chad and I to speak on the same passage, and uh, because we're going to be bringing out a couple different bits from that. So if you have a Bible... You can open with me to Ephesians 4. I didn't even, there's no PowerPoint today. We're going old school. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians 4 in your app or on your, in your pew Bible. Some of, there are actually some Bibles underneath the pews in front of you. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read from 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave him, himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to open our minds and our hearts today to your word, that we may understand it well and do it well. We want to be people who live it out, so we ask you, Father, to, to direct us by the power of your spirit, and we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, uh, Chad, when he was preaching, drew our attention to verse 3 here, where Paul tells us to make every effort toward unity. And then, though, there's this conjunction in verse 7, but to each of us. So Paul is definitely talking about unity through this whole passage, but then he's specifically qualifying what he writes about the church's unity. Okay, yeah, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, unity. But it's not uniformity, but harmony. So that's what Paul's going to get at. There's this harmony in the midst of unity. So even though we are unified, we each have different spiritual gifts, 
and gr or graces, as it says in some translations. And what's exciting about that is that our diversity isn't simply because we each have our own quirky way or because of different personalities or backgrounds, uh, not because of our culture or a different generation that we're born into. The diversity that we are supposed to find in the church is already, first of all, due to the gifts that Christ has given. And what that means is that God himself is invested in us being different and diverse in our unity. And Paul's going to single out uh, some gifts here. These are certainly not all of them because there are other lists elsewhere and none of those are actually supposed to be um, complete and exhaustive. But he, he focuses on a few of the gifts that are meant to release other people's gifts, release them into the fullness of their life in Christ. So the pastor's gift, um, so Christ's gift to the Ephesians church, I'm sorry, um, the Ephesians church included evangelists and teachers, and those people were supposed to release people into the fullness of their gifts. They're supposed to equip, as it says uh, in the passage, equip people for works of service. Uh, at the congregational meeting last week, if you were there for it, our church chair, Larry Dolly, said that there's going to be an evaluation at the three-month mark of your lead pastor for how he's doing in the pastorate. Uh, and there are a lot of different things that you could evaluate a pastor on, right? But here is actually one criteria in the text that God himself is supposed to, that God says he's going to evaluate me on. Am I equipping people for works of service? Am I pushing people through teaching to, to know God and to serve him well? And, and I, I thought about that um, quite a bit over the last couple of weeks as I've met with people in coffee shops and in great uh, new restaurants I've been discovering. And I've been impressed by the many different ways that people are using their gifts to serve others. And th that's part of the amazing story I get to hear is how people use their gifts. So my job is then to equip you, to serve you, encourage you, and help you to release your gifts of service. For you to be more resilient, to be more prayerful. I think it's the kind of things that you're already doing. But Paul, he has an even grander vision than just works of service. The, the image that he gives is really colossal. It's of everyone all reaching unity in the faith, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, growing to become in every respect the mature body. Whew. Everyone in unity, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, in every respect mature, it's, it's so big, actually, I think that it won't be fully attainable until the Lord comes again in glory. But that's, that's the direction that we're supposed to be heading. That's the point of maturity toward which we're supposed to be plotting. And so it's the direction, then, of our, of our prayers and of our service. So if unity is difficult, fragile, and elusive, like Chad said, what about unity? And what about maturity? Some of us come into maturity in society, kicking and screaming. Some of us have not actually entered into maturity yet, right? Did some of you just elbow your partner next to you? That's, I'm kind of curious. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes when it's time for me to put my kids to bed or to, to give them a bath, we have this uh, game where they will lay on the floor and with a playful look in the eye, they will say, no, I'm not going. And then they'll stick their leg up to me. 
and I can grab their foot and kind of start to slowly drag them toward the bath, and it's, it's good fun. We have, uh, you know, like a linoleum floor, and they, they'll grab at everything they can get, you know, to try to stop themselves from, from going, and it's, it's really fun and playful, but as God is trying to draw us toward maturity in the faith, I feel like sometimes our scratching and grabbing at the walls seems a little less playful. Are we actually fighting against God? Because we know it's possible to get older in years and never to truly grow up. And in the same way, I think our faith can plod on year after year and never truly mature. So we need to ask ourselves honestly, do I really want to mature in my faith? And if so, what will I do to move toward that? And I'm not just speaking to longtime Christians here. Uh, if you're coming this morning as a skeptic, or maybe even you don't know what you think, you are welcome to explore here. But do you want to mature in your understanding of faith in the world and spirituality? Each of us, from people who are just starting to people who have been around for a long time, can move beyond our superficial assumptions, our prior prejudices, our flimsy crutches, and move together to a more robust faith that is founded on something that is truly solid. So how, how can we know, though, if we're moving in the right direction? And looking at this passage, Paul is going to point to three different indicators of maturity, three different hallmarks of maturity. And they are connectedness to Christ, speaking the truth in love, and serving wholeheartedly. So as we look at these, we're going to be able to more accurately evaluate if we're aiming in the right direction toward maturity. So the, the first hallmark of maturity is this connectedness with Christ. The, the whole passage is, is permeated by the idea that Christ must be the center of our faith. It's Christ who gives the gifts, and those gifts are meant to be used then so that the body of Christ will be built up. And until when? Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. In verse 15, Paul takes the same theme and uses the image of a, of a body, and he says that we are to grow to become in every respect the mature body of Christ, who is the head. And so we are the body, we're joined to him, and, and we're growing up into him. So the two images that Paul uses are really interpersonal, knowledge of the Son of God and, and this connected to him as a body, as, a, as the head. So I, I know that understanding that mature faith is a relationship with Christ, that kind of sounds pretty cliche. But it has two really amazing strengths, I think. It protects us against being overconfident, and it also protects us against being underconfident. Overconfident, because if we're talking about information only, if, if the point of the Christian faith is, is just informational, then it's something we can actually master. It's something we can kind of know completely. It would mean that, that the person who knows the most Bible quotes is the one who's the most mature, but we know that's not the case. Knowing someone, though, is a much more intimate and sacred thing. Uh, my wife Karen and I have been married for 19 and a half years. Uh, I've known her since she was 18 years old, and I, I, I would actually, I'm fairly confident, I'm going to say this with a certain amount of confidence, I think I know her better than she knows herself. She's not objecting, just for the record. 
But she still does stuff that surprises me, right? So I cannot ever arrive in my knowledge of a person. You can never know somebody completely. And so you can't be overconfident. You can't say, you know what, God, I've got that part figured out. God, I, I know all about God, so no thanks, don't need any more input. Because it's not just about me getting more information. It's about knowing somebody. So viewing our relationship with God as a relationship helps to protect me from overconfidence. When you first come to church as, as a believer, every passage is new for you, right? I remember that, that feeling when I, I had never read in their parts before. But give it enough time and you'll hear a message on a passage you've heard before. Now, if the goal for us is simply just to get new information, you're going to have less of a chance of getting new information, right? You've heard that one before. You, but we risk being overconfident. We risk tuning out. But if our goal is relational then there's always something for us each week when we turn to the text, when we talk with other people. Puritan pastor Jonathan Edwards said that God wants us to know him affectionately. Very Puritan way of saying it. God doesn't want us to know about him. He wants us to know him affectionately. So Jonathan Edwards is basically telling us that we need to have feelings for God. <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually, a Puritan telling us to make our hearts skip a beat. Um, we don't think about them as being very feeling kind of people. We will avoid overconfidence of thinking that we've arrived in our faith if we think about it as being relational. But it also protects us against underconfidence. In, our, in a relationship, there's no basic skills test or knowledge basis that we have to pass. In verse 14, Paul gives a metaphor of this unmoored boat, this boat that's being blown around in the waves, tossed back and forth. And it's a counterexample of the image of maturity. There's somebody who is blowing a tempest of other teaching. But what, what I'm thinking about is a relationship is like that line that ties somebody to the dock. That line is relatively small compared to the ship or the, the boat that is there. And that's relationship. The line of relationship doesn't have to be humongous in order for us to be well-moored, well-connected. You know, I, I, you've known me for a little bit, but all, everyone has access to ask me for a cup of coffee, right? That's the, we don't have to be underconfident that we can approach God. We're allowed, via our relationship with God, to have connection with him. So we need to be connected. Now, here's the dilemma, for me at least, I can't make you be connected to Christ. I can't make you know him affectionately. I can seek to regularly and more creatively sometimes maybe draw attention to our amazing God, but each of us has to make our own step, right? I would say if you are investigating Christianity, one place you could begin would be to read some of the biographies of Jesus, to read the the Bible, to read maybe the book of Mark, for example, the gospel of Mark. If we're going to follow Jesus or reject him, we should base our decision on something more concrete than the, than the hot air about the things that the people around us teach. We need to get past the pundits to get to the real eyewitness testimony here. How did Jesus react when he was caught off guard? 
How did, how did Jesus react when he was low on sleep? Those are the true moments, right? When he was confronted by the powerful, when he was confronted by the marginalized. Do his words match his life? And I encourage you to check it out and decide for yourself from the stories about Christ's life. And that, that's something we can do, that we can take a relational step. So let's not get distracted by counterfeits. Let's stay connected with Christ. So the second hallmark then, after being connected with Christ, is the second hallmark of maturity is that it speaks the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to be a mature body. And here's the part where the unity that we've been talking about, that's so beautiful and rich, it's where our interconnected lives meet the realities of life. The reality of life is that sometimes I need to hear something true that may be uncomfortable. And oftentimes, if I'm going to tell somebody something that may be true about them, I need to do it in a more loving way. In high school, I played water sports. Uh, I played water polo. And I also, for three years, I did springboard diving. Get to know me a little bit. Do not ask me to try any of that stuff now. If I did any of those things now, I'd probably hurt myself. Uh, but when I was 17, I was a little more limber. Could uh, do some things. But one of the things that was interesting about uh, the three years that I did that, I started my sophomore year. Uh, when I did diving, I had three different coaches. I had a different coach each year. And uh, the first coach that I had, the guy was really good. Uh, he helped me to advance really rapidly. He, he pushed me. He corrected me. I, I need direction. I, everybody needs direction in that. In fact, you know, you can't see yourself dive, so you need somebody else to say, ah, that was not very good. So whatever, you know. Maybe they can say, oh, you did this part well. Oh, that was right. You know, focus on this next time, that kind of thing. The problem was that he was really good at telling me the truth, but at the end of the year, I didn't really want to be around the guy anymore. <laughs> I even tried to quit the team at some point, but my dad made me go back, and that's another story for another day. My junior year, I had a different coach. And that second coach, he was a great diver himself. In fact, he would sometimes get in with us, and he would dive. It was amazing to watch this guy dive. He was a really nice guy. I loved getting to be on the team that year. But in the end... It was funny, we went to sectionals that year, and I actually placed worse than I had the year before. He was really good at the love part and being with me, but I think he didn't give me enough truth. My senior year, I had a third coach. This coach pushed me to try things that scared me. In fact, I think a lot of diving is kind of facing your fear. I can't imagine the people that do the 10-meter. I did one-meter springboard, right? That hurt enough. But So it's your, your mental barrier is as much as your physical barrier, really. But there was always a sense with this coach that what he was asking me to do was for my own good. And great coaches do that for us. They speak the truth in love to us. They make us want to go to the next level. They make us want to be a bit better. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage, is that we are fellow coaches to one another in life and in the faith. And as fellow coaches, we are committed to the well-being of others around us. And we want to invest in them. We want the good of others so much that we are willing to enter into the discomfort 
of talking with them about something, but to do it in a way that's loving. That's the hard part. I have a question. Does speaking the truth in love sound like the way that your family you grew up in operated? In a lot of families, it's not. Most families either lean on the truth too much or on the love a bit too much. We all hopefully get a bit of both. But the echoes of the way our family operates, they work in us today, and we probably operate that same way. We need to, to relearn, all of us, how to live in a godly way. And speaking the truth in love is pure, honest neighborliness. My ego does not want you to point out that I have a parsley in my teeth, right? But it's, it's loving for you to go, hey, Kurt, you got a problem right there, <laughs> right? Even less so, I really don't want you, if I'm talking about other people behind their back, I really don't want you probably to tell me, Kurt, that's really gossiping and you're hurting people by doing that. I don't want you to tell me that, but if you tell me that in a spirit of love and out of desire for me to grow, then hopefully I can mature in my faith. My neighbor's words, if they're spoken in love, can move me toward maturity. Remember, a diver can't see himself dive. And I can't really see myself live. The people around me, they see me, they live with me, and they help me see my blind spots. And they can do that by telling me the truth in love. The question is, am I willing to hear it? It's a question about maturity, isn't it? It's terrible. You have to be like mature enough to hear it so you can get mature. I don't know. That's the hard part. So, First hallmark is we need to be connected with Christ. The second one is we need to speak the truth in love. And the third hallmark is humble service. At the end of verse 16, it says, the body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I, I, I've seen some beautiful examples of people in this church who are using their gifts selflessly, wholeheartedly. It's beautiful. It's a... And, it's a contrast to what you have in verse 14. There's people who are said that by their cunning and deceitfulness, scheming people who are acting selfishly. That, that's not us. I, that's not what I've seen. And it says this phrase, as each part does its work. What, what strikes me about that phrase, I, I don't know if you hear it in the same way, it seems really, really kind. It seems really gentle as an image. It's not frantic. It's not obsessive. It's not overstretched. Maturity is when each part does its work. There's this open-handedness to this that just says, okay, well, what's your work? Do, th do that thing. Do that thing. What is your work in the stage of life that you're in, in the circumstances that you're facing? God knows what those circumstances are. He knows what situation you're in not expecting beyond what you can actually do. Where are those areas where you can serve others, help other people to be connected with Christ? Maybe it's something that you're already doing that you can, maybe it's something that's happening at the church already that you can throw yourself into at a rhythm you can handle. Maybe it's something we're not doing yet and you think, gosh, this needs to happen. Maybe it's something that's outside these walls. I've seen people in our community who are serving um, underprivileged and serving on boards and doing amazing things. Your work might be 
an offer of friendship to somebody or an invitation. I think all of us have expectations of our new stage in life. We're, we're entering into a new stage of church life together now. We have a lot of expectations about what that might be. And I, I think we're right to expect really good things. Our, our future is not going to look like our past exactly. But we expect that people are going to become believers. We expect that people are going to put down their roots in Christ, people who have been wandering. We expect that faithful people will deepen. And what gives me such high expectations actually isn't anything about me. It's about conversations I've had with you. People who have told me that they've been praying for our church. And they're not self-centered prayers. They're, they're prayers that people will be seized by a vision of God that matches his cosmic scope. It's prayers that I hear about women praying for men's ministry and men who want to pray for women's ministry to grow. For older people who pray for young children. People who are praying for us as a church to join into what God is doing in this city and in our county and around the world. Praying that people will grow up into Christ. And these are prayers that See Me Covenant Church will still be us. Like, we're still going to be us, but we're going to be us with a renewed purpose and a new, renewed way of speaking good news in our community. People released doing their gifts. That's amazing. So what's your work? What's the initiative that you can take this week and this month out of a desire for serving God and your neighbor? Whatever your service may be, may it be, in the end, the mark of genuine spiritual growth, connectedness to Christ. We want to reflect Christ in ourselves. But you know what's interesting is that all of these things, it says that we're supposed to be connected with Christ, we're supposed to be truthful and loving, and then also humbly serving. Well, all of those things actually flow from that relationship we have with the head. Because who is the one person who didn't ever slip into pettiness, pride, disdain? It was Christ himself. If we want to know what true human maturity looks like, we look to Christ himself. He was truth and love together. He spoke and lived perfect truth and love. He was the, the true neighbor to everyone. In all of his interactions with people, he never, never shied away from the truth. He, nobody could ever say, though, that he didn't speak that truth with love. And, and his love was never sen- sentimental or mushy, but it was love that makes people new. He was the truly humble servant. His service took him out of the limelight limelight, to be cast outside the city gates. He was humble enough to be willing to accept to be unjustly accused so that somebody else could go free. Christ was willing to die. And his death and resurrection now have won the battle for us. So if you want to be mature, you need to look like Christ. I think one of the things that we could do together, one way we could serve is even to start to maybe read the scriptures together, groups of one or two. It'd be a way for me to grow, for you to grow, not teaching somebody else, but just say, hey, let's look at Christ, who he is. Let's read the scripture together and and understand it and apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Father, we ask that by the power of your spirit, we may stay connected to Christ, that we may serve others with loving truthfulness and humble service 
We want to grow up. I, I, I pray that we'll grow up. We want to be unified, but we want to each use our gifts together to move toward maturity. May we not remain infants, God, but that we will grow up in the faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.